0: I'm going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, if you want to turn there. I know I said Deuteronomy chapter 6, but I'll begin reading from a psalm. You can stay in Deuteronomy. Psalm 127 tells us this. Well except the Lord build the house they labor in vain. There's no building it without him except the Lord keep the city. Those that are watching that then all endeavors in vain. It's vain to rise up early praise the Lord and to sit up late and to eat the bread of sorrows For so he giveth his beloved sleep. There's a a vanity in so many things. And then he makes this transition to this third verse where he says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb are his reward. They are as arrows in the hand of a mighty man. I think one of the things that somehow we need to get hold of, all of us, is our kids, even if we've inherited them grown, sometimes all of a sudden that ends up to be our responsibility, but particularly small children, Um, They're never the absolute property of the parents. God allows life to issue forth, Psalm 139. God is the only one who calls it back to himself. So he's very much integrated in the process and for deeper and better reasons than we are with the raising of children in this world. Even if our children are grown and we've just gotten saved, we have folks in our church that get saved out of heroin. They're adults. They already have little kids and little kids have grown up under that insanity and then you're trying to kind of catharize them and drain that out of them, you know. Uh, whatever it is, God still, even when we're adults, look, he looked at his disciples and said, little children, just as the God of heaven If we were there, we'd have heard it. Little children love one another. And here, in this third verse, and I called somebody yesterday because it says children are an inheritance of the Lord. And I dug and dug and dug in my resources to study the word of, something I had never done when I was a kid. Uh, And I only know one person that I could call who's a Hebrew professor and teaches Semitic languages. I said, what is that? And I said, does that mean children are an inheritance from the Lord or children are an inheritance of the Lord and that they belong to him? And he called me back a couple hours later and he said, Both. There's this genitive this and that, and it can go either way. And I thought, well, I knew that before I called you in the first place, so I feel pretty good. Um, But wonderfully, as we look at it, children are an inheritance from the Lord. Life issues forth from him. The fruit of the womb is his reward to us. But the other side of that is so true, the deeper part of it. Children are the heritage of that belong to the Lord. There's a heritage in that for him. And the fruit of the womb is his, in a possessive sense, is his reward as well. And I think that's important because what it says is we're both involved in the process. You know, God asks of us certain things in raising children, but he asks those things because they are his. not just leaving us to embrace our children for a short period of time in this world. He's going to tell us what we really want is to hold them in glory. The ultimate responsibility of a parent is to get that kid out of this world into the next world. Whatever else happens in life, that's the bottom line. That's what we need to see. That's what we long for. And the kids have a special place. You know, the Lord said, suffer the little ones to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And unless you receive the kingdom as a little child, you will no wise enter in. He tells us those things. Psalm 8, O Lord, our, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Um, who has set thy glory above the heavens, and yet out of the mouths of babes and sucklings you've perfected, he's perfected, you've perfected praise, that he puts something in the heart of a little kid that sings, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, and that kid can believe it when they sing it. And parents are struggling with it in their 20s and 30s. So he has this affinity and, and... he's always looking to the next generation as we are today too many parents today or you know possible parents say what's the sense look at the world look what's going on should we even have kids why why should we even have kids in this world look look what's happening around us well You know, Manoah and his wife had Moses when all the small children were being thrown into the Nile River. The the sons of being drowned, you know. Elijah's parents had him when Baal and Ashtoreth were the main idolatrous idolatrous worship in, in Israel. Daniel grew up when Babylon was in charge. Jesus came into the world when the Rome had the whole world under its heel, it's so important that we don't live like that. Again, Noah has three kids while he's building the ark because he figures he'll never get it done without help. And that's the world ready to be judged completely and he has three. So we have them. Here we are in the day that we're living in. And I think wonderfully in Deuteronomy God addresses the children of Israel, look they're sitting on the edge of the promised land The Deuteronomy is the restating of the law. He's telling them again, this is what I want when you cross this river and you go into that land where there are strong and mighty cities, where there are giants, where the Canaanites are worshiping every foul thing there is. You're going to be cast into the middle of that when you go in. And this is what I want you to do with your kids in that process. Verse 3... In Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it that it may be well with thee, that thou may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They're to listen. The Lord our God is one Lord, because there's a multitude of different gods in the land that they're heading into. The Lord our God is one Lord, and the command, and Jesus quotes it in the New Testament. In fact, Deuteronomy is his favorite book. He quotes more from there than anywhere else in the Old Testament. It says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, With all thy soul, with all thy might, not serve the Lord with all, but love the Lord. If he he has your heart, that's the issue. Parents, grandparents, if he has your heart, he has all of you. Proverbs tells us to guard your heart with all diligence because from it flow the issues of life. Jesus tells us from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So he says here that you should love, not serve. You will serve if you do this. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words, what he's been speaking to them, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart. Telling the adults those that are going to teach the children. Primarily, this is what needs to happen. It has to be a hard issue with you. If you're going to prattle off a bunch of theological stuff that rattles around in your head to your kids, what they're going to have is a bunch of stuff that rattles around in their head. But if you genuinely love the Lord, if you're living that way, if there's something in your relationship with him that is contagious... It affects them. I mean, we, we talk about computers and that stuff today. Look, the most sophisticated hardware that will ever be in your life is that little kid who sits in front of you. You know, the, the military is trying to figure out how many terabytes they have to produce to compare with the amount of calculations that can take place per second in the mind of a human being. They're nowhere close to it yet. So that's the most sophisticated, you're going to get to decide the software, what you put in there. And the software you put in has a promise with it, that it never returns void, that it accomplishes what it's set forth to do, that it's effectual in our lives. And we have to remember that. Does that mean that our kids are going to grow? We're never going to have a problem. Our kids are never going to mess with the world. I think the chances are slim. I think the chances are slim, because of that draw on the natural man. But remember the impressions made when you're young. You know? Uh, my dad, he was a good man, wasn't saved until a number of years before he died. but when I was a kid I had a good mom and dad, he worked hard, he took care of us. You know, he could fix the engine in the car. He could do the electrical in the house. He could do the plumbing. as one of those World War II guys. But whenever he was working on a pipe or something and it wasn't working, he he would go, oh, come on, come on, you know, come on. I could hear the attitude. I could hear the frustration. And you know what I do? I'm doing something. It's not working. I I go, oh, come on. (laughs) I do the same thing. You know, it's funny. Josh, when he was little, um, in his crib still, would hear me during the day. We were a three-story house. Yo, Kath! Yo, Kath! You know, and he was listening to that. Those were impressions. So if he woke up in the night and he wanted something, we'd hear from the other room, yo, Kath! little boy called his mom, yo, Kath! So those early impressions stick with you your whole life. What you're going to sow into them is going to be with them their entire life. And there's a promise of God involved. There has to be a sense in you, oh, no, I feel overwhelmed, the things that are coming at me, the the things that are drawing my child's heart or drawing them away from me. But there's a divine involvement. They're his. And the enemy is messing with someone that he should not be messing with. Because in that process, there's a divine part of it that has to give us some rest. We're sowing the word of God into their lives. The world is going to sow into their lives what it wants to sow into their lives. But in the final analysis, analysis, the one that will be most effectual, and sadly, you know, we've seen people dying of heroin and at that point saying, Oh Lord, oh Lord. But eternity then becomes secure. He says, these things shall be in your heart, he says to them. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down when thou risest up and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes and thou shalt write them upon the post of thine house in the Hebrew and on thy gate. So he says, here's the deal. He said, this is the instruction he gives as they're ready to go into this idolatrous land He says to them, you shall teach these diligently. I don't know how many things we're diligent about. My list of things I'm diligent about is shorter than my list of things I'm not diligent about. I know you're different than me, but that's my problem. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children and shall talk of them. It doesn't say preach to them. It doesn't say yell at them. The word talk there is the primary word all through the Old Testament for talking, just to talk. And it says your, your major way of teaching them is to talk with them. Parents are out, you know, sometimes doing all kinds of things to accrue things from this world, and the kid sits alone. He says talk with them when you sit at your table, look, dinner time is a great time to be family time. And the kids have to come. If they want to eat, they have to listen to you. So talk with them. there. You're going to talk to them about the one you love. They're going to see whether that's real or not. It says, talk with them. When you sit at your table, great impressions made there. When thou liest down, when, when you walk by the way, you're out with the kids walking, there's still just that opportunity to talk about the Lord. I remember my kids asking questions when they were little, and they give the opportunity so much of the time. When thou liest down, we never put the kids to bed ever without praying with them. And my prayer every night was, Lord, to count them worthy to escape everything coming on this world, to stand before you in glory every night. If I'd come home on Sunday night and they were already in bed, I would go up and mess with them. I'd go up and poke them. I would go up and say, Daddy, tell I love you. I'd give them, and some of them, times they'd laugh and roll, or sometimes they'd say, Mom, you know, get them out of here. You know, just kind of a thing. But when they lie down, talk to them when they rise up and look they all rise up differently. We, we had four kids. Um, some of them, when they heard a dish rattle in the kitchen, leaped out of bed in the morning. Some of them, you know, at noon, you're still trying to drag them out of the bed. You have leapers and creepers, you know. Uh, they're all different, but then you get to talk to them later in the day. But they're all different. The, the word is the same for all of them. But God has given them all different personalities right in the same house, right? You have two kids. You think that they're completely opposite. How does this happen from the same gene pool? You have your third kid and realize opposite has more than two directions, right? But, but they all have a penchant. They all have a bent, the scripture calls it. And you recognize that and you feed that. It's God-given. But what you're feeding it with, it may be in different ways, it may be in different times. It's always the same thing that you're getting to them. And that, of course, is the word of God. Sitting at the table with them. Hard sometimes when everybody's working, but I believe it's neglected today in many ways. Walking in the way with them, important to just take some time with the kids to walk with them. When they rise up, talk to them in the morning. But in all these circumstances, it's talking to them about these things, about the things of the Lord, conversational. They're not going to listen if you're preaching to them or you're yelling at them or you know, to talk with them. But what that costs us is time. The world's not going to hesitate to give them time. And it's a stewardship that we have. And it's not the responsibility of a Christian school or a Sunday school or the grandparents. It's the, the onus falls squarely upon the parent to take that time and spend that time with them and invest in them those early impressions will be remembered. They may be out in the world doing something they shouldn't do. They may be somewhere crazy later, but those things are planted there. And if need be, in a crisis, those things will still be there. We hate to see things go that way. Now, it's interesting here where it says, Thou shalt teach them diligently... Um, that's the only time in the Old Testament it's used eight times it's translated to teach diligently it is always used about the edge of a sword the other seven times it means to wet later in Deuteronomy talks about the Lord wetting his glorious bright sword it's translated to wet three times it's translated then another three times to sharpen it's translated one time pierce and what it's telling you here is teach them diligently. You need to sharpen them. You need to wet the edge of their life. It's got to cut through what they're going to face. And the way you sharpen an edge on a sword is over and over and over. It's repetition. You watch somebody doing that in, you know, Lord of the Rings or something, it's It's repetitious. Repetition. You know, Charles Spurgeon said when he preached, he said, my rule was this. I told them what I was going to tell them. Then I told them what I was telling them. And when I was done, I told them what I did tell them. You know, it was repetition is so important. So here it's like sharpening the edge of a sword. You're are they going to cut it when they get on the world? In fact, the Hebrew word can mean repeat in a different form sharpen them, wet the edge of their lives. Cause the things you're saying to them to pierce into them. And you do that by talking with them about the things of the Lord from a heart that is in love with the Lord. They're going to know whether it's coming from a genuine place or not. So we back up. We're teaching our kids to you. Now the first thing we do is say, all right, Lord, you said the greatest commandment is to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I kind of fail; I fall short of that. But he said if we pray anything according to his will, we know we can have the petitions that we ask so we can actually pray and say, Lord, cause me to be one who loves you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's what Jesus quotes as the greatest of the commandments. And we're praying according to his will when we do that. And when our kids see, they know what we're in love with. They know what kind of ice cream you like. They know what kind of hoagie you like. They know what kind of car you like. They observe. And, and if they know that what you're saying about the Bible and about Jesus is not just head stuff, but it's really from your heart because you really love him because he first loved you, that you personally have responded to his love, then they hear it. Then as you sit with them and talk with them over and over, you're sharpening them. There's a reality to what you're saying and you're doing in their lives. And look, we face, it seems sometimes, insurmountable odds, you know, uh, I can say, hey, I, I raised teenagers uh, 25 years ago. I never dreamed that you guys would be facing what you're facing, trying to raise kids now. And those surrounding circumstances kind of change, but they always, you know, come back to the surface. There isn't really anything new. In fact. Someone I read yesterday, and I quote, he said this, what's happened to this younger generation? They don't pay the older generation any respect. They don't stand when an elder comes into the room. They don't show any courtesy to the older generation. What's happened to this younger generation? That's Socrates, 2,300 years ago. One of the hieroglyphics they found in Egypt said my students at a professor at one of the universities, my students are no good. All they do is carouse and drink beer. There were more breweries in Egypt than there were wineries. Beer was a major drink. They never had a cold one, obviously, in Egypt. But nothing's new under the sun. All they do is carouse and drink beer. 1940s to 1950s teachers in public schools interviewed major problems in public schools 1940 i was born 1950 that period of time the major problems were these talking out of turn chewing gum making noise running in the hallways cutting in line dress code violations, and littering. Who could live with rascals like that? Talking out of turn, chewing gum, making noise, running in the hallways, cutting in line, dress code violations, and littering. Same questions asked to public school teachers 1990 to the year 2000, basically 50 years later major problems in public schools, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, pregnancy, suicide, rape, robbery, and assault. The crazy thing is, you know, how we measured things 50 years ago almost seems incremental to how things are measured now. The, the meter was so fine and the increments measured were so precise. You hear that littering, talking out. of it. And on the, the meter that we're measuring with now, it can't even calculate those things anymore. They don't even matter anymore because the issues seem so huge. So do we lead a defeated life? You know, Do we think we're, we're, we're raising the next generation in this world? Should we be afraid, defeated? Should we give up? Should we be hopeless? No, that's why we have to start with the fact that children are the inheritance of the Lord. They're his. They're his. The miracle, you know, Psalm 139, the the child formed in the womb who can understand that we still don't understand all of that and the warp and the woof of their character placed in them then when they're still in the womb the psalm tells us all of their days are written out before they live any of them and the lord knows when that life will issue forth and he knows when he will call that life back to himself and to him that life is all about eternity that life is all about eternity. I think we have the promise that every generation had. I don't think we're any less equipped than parents 2,000 years ago. I don't think that we must fail more than other generations of parents because of what we see happening around us. You just study the... The, the people of Israel and Jesus' own generation and the things that they were raised. in. Paul, you know, he tells us, the last days will be perilous times. These are the things you're going to face. These are the things that are going to come. These are the things that you need to do. You know, and sometimes I think, well, devotions. We want to teach our kids about devotions, and devotions are important. But it's like here talk to them. Tell them what to do. Talk to them at the table. Talk to them when you're walking in the morning and the evening. But there's something more than just the devotions. It's devotion. My wife doesn't want devotions. I can never say to her, look, I, I talked to you a half hour this morning. I'll see you for a half hour tomorrow morning when we have devotions. She doesn't want anything like that. She wants devotion. And the kids know when we sit with them and we talk with them that it's coming from our heart. And then he says, look, bind them on your head. Bind them. It doesn't say frontless. doesn't say strap a box on your head. It says as frontless for your eyes. That what you do and what you look at. And where you go has to be in line with what you say when you have them at the table and you walk with them in the way. If you do that and then you, you do a completely different thing with your life in disobedience to the scripture, it, it, it just causes unimaginable confusing But the world is wetting them and sharpening, too. Stroke after stroke after stroke is also coming from the the world. But what we sow in them has promise. It's the word of God. What the world sows, it disappoints, and it disappoints, and it disappoints. But we have to do what we say. It should be bound on our hands. It should be like frontless. You see a horse with those kind of frontless. It should determine where we go and how we go. The doorposts of our house, wonderful thing, you know, Jewish families with the mezuzah, every time they come in their house, they touch it or they kiss it, because this verse we're studying is in there, you know. All of those are great things. Now look, it comes to us, sometimes to a single parent. Does a single parent then have to fail? I think you could ask Mary that. Jesus was raised by a single mom. He turned out pretty good. Some of my favorite people, Greg Laurie, Raul Reese, Mike McIntosh, Damian Kyle, were all raised in broken homes. They were all raised with a parent missing. They were all raised with alcoholic abuse. They were all raised in insanity. And they've changed the world for Jesus Christ. Because you're a grandparent then, and this is falling to you, does that mean you're fighting a losing battle? No, I look at Josiah and how he ends up hearing from Manasseh, who had been crazy his entire life. And at the end of his life, he turns back to the Lord and skips the dad, who's a scoundrel. And he ends up with Josiah on his lap, talking to him about God's love and God's forgiveness. So difficult circumstances, certainly. The ideal, sure. We have children. We have them at home from the time they're little. We have the opportunity to speak into their lives. We need to do that. And it has to be, you know, talking with them, reasoning with them. They have to see us doing what we say to them. And they have to know we're doing those things because we love the Lord and we have to know that they're his. Your job, ultimately, is to let go of your kid. It's a tragedy when you see parents who won't let go of their kids. But ultimately, you're raising that kid, and you're going to say bye. They're going to get married. They're going to have their own kids. They're going to go in the military. They're going to go to a university somewhere else. They're going to go. Ultimately, that's a responsibility, but he never lets go of them. They're his as well. Children are an inheritance from the Lord, but they are an inheritance of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward to us, but the fruit of the womb is his reward, period, to himself as well. So we are in a co-op here, you know. There's a divine side to what we're doing. No parent here today needs to feel like, man, I've blown it. Adam and Eve, they had two kids. One killed the other one. You know, just there's been a problem. Everybody's born a delinquent. But we're we're undertaking this. We're here. You came out on a rainy day. You're sitting here this morning. There's something that you want to hear. There's some things you want to think about. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. He knows us. He's called us. And if we have children, that's a heritage from the Lord. He's entrusted those to us, knowing who we were, knowing the outcome, knowing the struggle those kids might have at different points in their lives. He trusted them to us. Yes, we need to take inventory, that's why we're looking at all different workshops we're looking at here today as a lot of different things. But understand this that the tools of parenting have not changed since God made them known. Cultures have changed, temptations have changed. You know, when Paul you know, talks to the churches about keeping themselves pure. There was no pornography, but there was a thousand temple prostitutes down the street. I mean, it was reality. It wasn't just visual. It was real. And the word of God was significant enough for those times. He, he tells Timothy, you know, the things you learn from your mother and your grandmother, hold on to those things. You know of whom you've learned them. And and you know there was a process there. Because we know that Timothy's father was a Greek, we're told. His mom and his grandmother were Jewish. So he's a little kid. And his father says, Hercules, he was the real hero in the world, you know. And Grandma and Ma said, no, Samson was the real hero in the world, you know. And then he's going to say, you know, the, you know, the greatest, you know, God there ever was, was, you know, Jupiter, whoever he's going to pick out. And the kids, then they say, no, no, the greatest God is Yahweh. The greatest. Take the kid aside. And he's going to say, you know, this is the thing you really need to pay attention to. They said, no, this is the thing. You really need to pay attention to. And Timothy, exhorted by Paul, remember those things that you heard from your mother and your grandfather. Keep to those things. Hold on to them. He can say that because those things don't return void. Amen? Father, I know you've overheard. And Lord, sometimes we we want something more complicated. Sometimes we want something more profound. Sometimes we think, Lord, there are tricks and angles we don't understand and that we're fighting a losing battle and that the world around us has the upper edge. Lord, renew our hearts. Let your word be true to us today, Lord Jesus. Give us confidence that in this last generation, you have entrusted to us, Lord, this great stewardship. Knowing the days that we live in, knowing what they would face, Lord. Knowing what we would face. Let the divine of all of this be real and weighty to us, Lord. That you love every one of them more than we do. You know every one of their destinies. You know what's going on in their hearts, Lord. We trust these things to you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. You know, Mark Twain said, When I was 16 years old, I couldn't believe what a fool my father was. He said, But when I became 26, I can't believe how much he had learned in the meantime. (laughs) They'll do the same thing.